0: The great house has seen many hopes, many dreams shattered, some by fate, some by hands more than human. But no man has suffered more than one who had a chance to escape from an ancient curse, and who found the powers of evil still working against him. For the experiment, which was to put his soul into another body, has failed and left him responsible for a monstrous childlike creature in the beginning, as in the end, there will only be terror at Collinwood. Welcome to episode 13 of Terror at Collinwood, and of course, the number 13 is true to form because this episode is filled with audio issues, and I apologize. I am sorry. I am your
1: hostess, Penny Dreadful, and I have a very special guest with me today. His name is Rich Hanley, and I first became familiar with Rich because he was the editor of a fantastic book called Musings on Monsters observations on the world of classic horror by the Art organization. Definitely worth seeking out. If you do not have it, I highly recommend it. It's a collection of essays about a variety of classic monster movies and TV shows. Um, I actually got a copy for a friend of mine too. My friend Meredith is a big monster kid too. And I got her this for, for Christmas and she was thrilled by it. Rich has done many things. Uh, he is the editor of Eagle Moss's Star Trek graphic novel collection. He's written books about Planet of the Apes, Back to the Future, and Watchmen, as well as licensed Star Wars and Planet of the Apes fiction. Rich co-edited Titans Scribe Award-nominated Planet of the Apes, Tales from the Forbidden Zone, eight sequart anthologies discussing Planet of the Apes, Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica, and Hellblazer, and three Crazy Eight press anthologies about the 1966 Batman TV show. He's also contributed essays to DC's Hellblazer 30th Anniversary Celebration, IDW's five Star Trek, and three Eisner Award-nominated Star Wars comic strip reprint books, Boom Studio, Four volume Planet of the Apes archive line, sequart anthologies about Star Trek and Blade Runner, and ATB Publishing's Outside In series. Focused on Star Trek, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, and the X Files, Rich writes the Star Trek column for herocollector.com and is the managing editor of rfidjournal.com. Rich, thank you so much for joining me today and welcome to Terror at Collinwood.
2: Thank you very much for having me. And uh, after that, I now realize I need to cut down the the, the word count on my bio a little.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I was going to say you need to add some Dark Shadows material to that, I think.
2: Yeah, you know, so far, the only Dark Shadows material uh, would really be the the, um, Ross Johnson's essay in Uh Using Monsters. But yeah. I, I hope to rectify that I, because that would be fun to do some more writing about.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, one thing uh, you did unofficially, which is a really helpful resource, is you compiled every single iteration of Dark Shadows into a document that lists basically every official hmm. produced Dark Shadows book comic book you even have the stage play in there the audio dramas i mean you really
2: I actually have it on the screen right now i had opened it uh pr- prior to our talking
1: yeah good <laughs> so to have it here how, how do fans access this by the way is this something that's available online or
2: yeah it's um you know what i'll do i'll throw i I have a website, richhanley.com. But what I'll do is I'll, I'll throw a link on my blog there because there's a URL to this, but it's long. But it's, mm-hmm. it's Hassline Books, H A S S L E I N Books.com backslash PDFs backslash dark shadows underscore complete list dot PDF. So that's long. So what I'll do is um, I'll also, I'll write a, when, we, when we're done here, I'll throw something up on my blog with a link to it.
1: Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And if you send that my way, I will put it in the uh, YouTube description for the YouTube version of this. And I'll also put it on the website uh, under the uh, episode description as well. So that way people will have quick access there. Wonderful. Well, Rich, talk to me a little bit about how you got into Dark Shadows. When did you first discover Dark Shadows?
2: Well, um, I grew up in the 70s, but I was born in the late 60s and my mother was a first generation fan. In fact, most of the things that I'm into—Star Trek, Planet of the Apes, Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, Dark Shadows—now a lot of this is because I grew up uh, the son of a woman who's just like I am, <laughs> <laughs> and and so that that influence was heavy. And so I, I, you know, I, I grew up hearing about the stuff that I hadn't seen, like Dark Shadows, because when I, I was very little, when Dark Shadows ended, and then it was a long time before it was rerun in my area, but but I, I of course, was aware of it. As somebody who read a lot of magazines, back then, no internet, so magazines uh, about horror and science fiction and fantasy and whatever else struck my fancy. So I was always aware of it. It was always on my radar, and especially anytime I read articles about vampires, because I liked vampire lore. And Barnabas always ended up there, you know, mm-hmm. along with Lugosi and everybody else. So uh, I always read about him, but I always was curious to watch it. But there were two things that worked against me. One, it's 1,225 episodes. It's, those, so the first thing was simply, you know, like there were a lot of episodes. 1,225 is a lot to marathon, even if I could find it. The second thing was just simply finding it back then. And then in the 90s, the Sci-Fi Channel was, ran the show, and I didn't even notice they were doing it until late in the run. I watched some of it and said, oh, I, I really like this, but I, I'm a little lost. <laughs> uh Eventually they, they started putting out the show on, on, on VHS and then DVD. And, uh, but even then to, to go and buy the entire series and box sets was really expensive. I really had my eyes set on that coffin box set, but I also am happily married and, you know, didn't want my wife to kill me. So uh, <laughs> buying that, that box set was, well, it was not something I was really li- realistically going to do. However, um, I have a little trick when I look for things on eBay. I purposely misspell things. And the reason I do this is that eBay's algorithms aren't always the smartest. If you type in Star Trek or Straught Trek, you might catch something where a person misspelled something in the auction and everyone else is not seeing it. So just on a lark, I typed in Drack Shadows, and to my surprise, there was a box that listed there. Now, the ones that were spelled correctly were going for anything from $500 to $900, which was insane. But this guy was selling it with an opening bid of 60 and probably really, really confused about why nobody was bidding on it. <laughs> but I did. I said, I thought, there's no way. There's no way that I'm going to win this. And even if I do, there's no way he's going to send it to me but I won and I had a $50 gift card. So I ended up with the box set, the coffin box set unused for $10. Wow. But that was crazy. <laughs> right. And um, yeah. it came, I fully expected the box to be empty or the guy to just say, <laughs> I won't give this to you or whatever, but nope, it showed up. And uh, I've since what I've gone through multiple viewings since then. And it was just amazing after wanting for decades to see this, to, to just, uh, To devour and engulf this show, you know, because I really always knew that I would like it, and I was right.
1: Awesome. Do Do you remember when you were really little at the very end of it, or or were you still too young?
2: No, I I would love to be able to tell you that I have a memory of seeing it. What Mm -hmm. the only thing I do remember, and I realized this, I didn't even know that I remembered it until I finally started watching it, is I remembered the opening credits. Okay. Um, yeah. So when I started watching it, you know, my name is Victoria Winters. And I said, hey, wait a minute. I know that water hitting the rocks. That's so wild. And that's when I realized the show didn't stay with me. I was little, but it must have because my mother watched it daily, that must have imprinted in it on my mind. And as soon as I saw it, I said, wow, I I actually do remember this. But that that really was the only thing I remembered.
1: Um, Now, you started out just chatting over video and Rich has an extensive collection of comic books from Star Trek to Planet of the Apes, things that he worked on. And also just in general, like a complete collection of, of, of several of these things. Do you collect Dark Shadows memorabilia as well?
2: well, memorabilia, no, know, in terms of things like models, but I, I mm-hmm. do have all of the comics and all of the novels. Wonderful. Um, and I, I spent the last, well, I spent the pandemic reading them all. So uh, it was uh, because it was like a lot of people I was, you know, I ended up feeling the emotional effect of being isolated.
0: And, mm-hmm.
2: um, I thought this would, this would be a good time to keep my sanity by, <laughs> by reading insane things. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, I watched, you know, the web, the episode of the House that inspired Dark Shadows. I, I read all of the uh, the comics from Gold Key and from uh, the newspaper strips and from Dynamite and um, what else? From Moonstone, the Cult Shack uh, crossover. I yeah. read all of the Dan Ross books, and uh-huh. amazingly, was. Was still able to put words together when I finished.
1: <laughs> I was going to say it's, that's quite an accomplishment. Like not only you know, you, you, not only did you watch all the, the show itself, but you read all of the the off media, including those Ross novels. Which yeah, that's Ooh. that's a that's a challenge. I mean, uh, there are some that I really like. I haven't read yeah. them all. Um, well, if
2: you've read five, you've read them all. Yeah, that that, 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 that was the that, sense. That's I... what it was. I noticed, like every yeah. single book, once once it goes on into the. It gets past the first, you know, several. And Barnabas becomes a main character. Once that happens, every book has almost the same plot, but you can swap out what the type of monster is. But here's the thing. I didn't hate them. I certainly didn't love them. And they're really not very dark shadows-like, but I got a kick out of it. My wife thought I was crazy because every time (laughs) I turned around, I had another one. And she's like, you keep telling me this is the same as the first 18. Why are yeah. you reading?
1: They have their own flavor, definitely. And it's, yes, uh, they do. Uh, it's <laughs> definitely a, a goal I have to, to read them all. Uh, I, You know, there are some that I really, I like the the uh, Barnabas Quentin and the Mummy's Curse. Mummy's I, Curse. I, Mummy's
2: Curse is really surprisingly good. And um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's almost as if uh, Dan Ross said, you know, uh, I'm going to try this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because well, here's the thing. I don't mean anything I, that sounds snarky but it's just well-known this was an incredibly prolific guy because these were just a drop in the bucket of what he of of his total output under Mm -hmm. multiple names so he given the number of books this man wrote in a relatively short period of time he must have been pushing out one a week
1: in which case
2: it's understandable why they are the way they are yeah it's kind of have a formula because it was the only way it would work
1: it's it's really remarkable that he was able to to do what he did and um there's also uh, you're working now on the Big Finish audios, right? That's your next.
2: Yeah, because the most recent thing that I did was to read the um, mm-hmm. the, the Lara Parker novels. Uh, oh yeah, okay. Harper Collins and Tor, uh, Laura Parker, and um, who was the other? Oh, Stephen Mark Rainey and Elizabeth yes. Matthew. I, I read all five of those, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, and and you know, there's some qual, there's some continuity problems with the show, but I liked sure. them. Yeah. And uh, but they were enjoyable. So then the next thing I started was um, the audios. But the problem, I, I just had done so much dark shadows in so <laughs> short a span of time, uh, that I went back, I, I decided to uh, take a break and do a Doctor Who marathon. And when I when I when I get through what I've you know, I'm a certain amount of that, I'm gonna go back to the audios because yeah. I read, I listened to the first two and liked them, but my brain just needed to step out of yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you need to take a take a trip on the TARDIS, leave pollen Sport, and uh, go yeah back. yeah
2: exactly. I do love I loved everything, even the stuff I didn't love, and you know. But but uh, there's just so much of it that after a while, your brain cells start to.
1: Pop. Sure, yeah, I I can. I mean, they they all have their own distinct flavor, and I sort of consider yeah. each of them their own. Fortunately, you know, the show did establish that parallel universes exist, so I kind yeah. of. I do look at them all as sort of their own band of parallel time, you know. Like the the big finish exists in one band of time, dynamites in one band of time, Gold Key, right, right. Ross, etc. You know. Totally. Uh, and now you've mentioned, you know, a lot of your Planet of the Apes, Star Trek, Doctor Who. Uh, do you feel that Dark Shadows kind of fits into that pantheon of of speculative fiction, pop culture at the sick in the same way?
2: Well. It's an interesting question. I mean, I I think that Dark Shadows is not as much in the public consciousness as some of these others, but I think it deserves to be. Like, I think the average person, when I mention what I'm watching, or people will say to me, because they, you know, people who know me know me, I'm usually marathoning something. And they'll say, What are you watching now? And if I say Star Trek, everyone's heard of that. I say Planet of the Apes, everyone's heard of that. Doctor Who, Most people have heard of it. I have some friends, family members rather, who weren't familiar with it. But when I said dark shadows, and this kind of makes me sad, so many people said, what's that? (laughs) Yeah, yep. Um, So it's not as much in the public consciousness, which is strange, given that it was revived in the 90s and there's a Tim Burton film. So you would think more people would know it existed. But for whatever reason, you know, the people who are genre fans, of course, you can't be a horror fan and not know this exists. But I would say that the masses, not so much. But I think it does deserve to be because it is a unique thing. The idea of a—I mean—I mean, other shows have things like Passions have done Supernatural and more mainstream soaps have done things like Atlantis and so forth since then. But Dark Shadows was just a unique concept. Even before Barnabas came in, the idea of a of a, of a soap opera with a haunted house in it was pretty unusual. Right. Um, people coming back from the dead—who did that? A, a phoenix. Yeah. To this day, who else? Who else has ever done a Phoenix, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think it definitely deserves its place with them. Will it ever attain that? I, I don't know. I think, I think, had the revival that didn't happen happen, maybe it might have. Because we live in a culture right now where things come back and stay. Mm -hmm. So, if it came back now, it might. It just might.
1: Well, this uh, this reincarnation sequel that Mark B. Perry is, is shopping around, if th- if that happens, you know, I think that will certainly put Dark Shadows back on the map in a big way. But exactly. it's really interesting because Dark Shadows was such a phenomenon in the 60s, especially, you know, as after Barnabas came on and then going into the into the late 60s with Quentin it became this huge pop culture phenomenon yeah. with board games and, and mm-hmm. view masters and all kinds of stuff. It's interesting what you say, because I had a similar experience growing up in the 70s and in the 80s. None of my friends knew what it was. I mean, they do now because I introduced them to it and several of them are, are watching it and stuff, but some connected with it and some didn't. But it's almost like this secret thing that we all kind of share, like our this Dark Shadows fans, like you open the Pull the ring on the lion's mouth and go into the secret room, and there it is. You know, but, but but the pop the general sort of pop culture zeitgeist there's I think there's more awareness of it now than there was like in the say in the 80s or 90s even but um, But that's
2: because it's it's available for streaming now people are catching up with it because of streaming
1: yes I'm glad you brought that up because everybody keeps asking me to mention this and I keep forgetting all of Dark Shadows is available for free on Tubi it is you can get Tubi it's a streaming service you can get it on your on your Roku device or, or on your smart TV on your phone even tons of classic TV TV shows on Tubi, including Dark Shadows from start to finish. If you just look up Dark Shadows, it's going to start with Barnabas. Okay. But if you look up Dark Shadows, the beginning, it's all the pre-Barnabas episodes. They have branded those uh, as distinct from the from the main Dark Shadows it's still dark, it's the same show
2: and I wish is, they hadn't
1: uh, me too yeah
2: it's I wish I, they hadn't because a lot of people end up starting at Barnabas and then watching the beginning which is which is like starting which is like watching a television show and then seeing the pilot to me it just doesn't make a lot of sense
1: right right I think the reason they went with that is they didn't have confidence in people's ability to stick with um with those episodes it goes back to the
2: VHS release
1: yes yep they did yeah. the same thing exactly the and, same and
2: thing. I I, I you know that there's I think it's it's fantastic that it's available with, with uh, streaming because a lot of people look well, look let's face it nobody's no one else is going to find the coffin box set for ten dollars so yeah. <laughs> the average person it's very cost prohibitive to find these on DVD the, 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 I just wish there there are two things that I've noticed like uh, online groups one is that a lot of people end up inadvertently skipping um, the beginning. Uh, mm-hmm. And the other thing is that they think the show aired in seasons, and I, yes. I get why that happens. It's because of the way the box sets were structured, and they just carried that numbering over. But it would—I just wish that they would have put it just one to you know twelve forty-five. I, I think that would have made things so much easier. But what yeah. can you do? You know, I like could sure. I'm still just very happy it's up there because it deserves to be seen. Oh, definitely.
1: Uh, and I did take a break from talking about, uh, about storylines specifically of the show, but we're coming back to that today with Rich because Rich is a big fan of the Adam storyline. And I remember he put it's, it jumped out at me because he posted in in one group, you know, people were kind of griping about the Adam storyline. And you posted, I am an unrepentant Adam fan. And I I loved, loved that. And I said,
2: I have no regrets, no (laughs) remorse.
1: Awesome. I love this storyline, too. I think it's a fantastic storyline. You can tell, I mentioned before the, we talked a little bit before we started recording, but I mentioned this in the email episode too. There was a monster craze going on where kids were going Mm -hmm. berserk for bananas for monsters. And this is where Dark Shadows, I think, took notice of the fact that a lot of kids were watching the show. Like, this is very unusual for a daytime uh, show, a daytime soap opera. You know, soap operas were, you know, not, little kids were not watching soap operas. Dark Shadows Kids who bought famous monsters of film land and made the Aurora model kits, the monster kits, those kids were all watching Dark Shadows because there were monsters on TV. You come home from school and you can watch monsters or run home from school, I should say. And this storyline, of course, you know, we have Victoria returns to uh, the present. Barnabas is still a vampire. He bites Vicky. He had been avoiding that. You know, you could, he was fighting his urge to buy Vicky. does bring her under his power as a vampire and he's going to run off with her and then they have this uh, she sees, you know, Jeff Clark who looks just like Peter Bradford standing there. They have this car accident and then uh, Barnabas ends up in the hospital. I always... I have an explanation for this, but I want to get to get to this when we get to because that's a big thing that's sure. always come up in fandom. Like, how did Barnabas get knocked unconscious if he's a vampire? And it is a strange thing. Uh, they needed yeah. to get him to the hospital so Dr. Lang could treat him. But I'm just going to throw it out there. I think it's because he had received those injections from Julia. And even though. Yes, he yeah, it, it was, made him
2: more human. It made him more susceptible.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. And in fact, he even at one point notices that he's becoming less powerful. So I, I think that, yeah, definitely. So he ends up in the hospital and we meet the very, uh, how should I say, effusive uh, Dr. Lang uh, asks
2: <laughs> how. If both live. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> and. <laughs>
2: oh he yeah. was something else Addison Powell was just really uh, he, people make fun of that acting and I totally get why but I enjoy it, it I oh, think it's he's hilarious great. he's so much it, fun to watch oh my god oh. it's hilarious <laughs> it, if you, he's not even just over the top because if you go over the top you haven't reached him yet
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> true true <laughs> yes uh, yeah. Tom, it's Tom, hilarious Tom uh Holtz, Tom Diamond from the literary license podcast uh pointed out, you know, he believes that he was directed to try to uh, channel uh, Colin Clive in his sort of, because Colin Clive was pretty big, but in terms of his portrayal, Addison, it was way past peaking there, but it was really but fun to watch. Instead as of Max. living in a
2: castle, he thought he was in a skyscraper, you know, like when he was aiming <laughs> for the top, it was really high up.
1: It was high up. He was a mad scientist. Of course he's going to be big. But, it, but uh, it was
2: really fun and it's hilarious. And I think that this storyline doesn't get the respect. it deserves and I understand why. I mean, mm. there are times when it drags, sure. But then again, I would argue that the one that drags the most is the dream curse. It's not Adam's involvement. It's, I would say, the dream curse drags. But I, I love the concept of Adam. And you were talking about the monster craze. You know, before before this, we had ghosts, we had a phoenix, we had a vampire and a few... You know, a witch. Yeah. And, yeah. And yeah, the witch. Exactly, yeah. I would argue that Adam and Eve is the point at which the monster craze really begins on the show because yeah. we no longer just had Bella Lugosi, now we had Boris Karloff. And uh and so from that point on, it's well, what can we do next? I don't know, throw a wolfman in. How about you know what else? like it became, you know, one and warlock's galore and, yeah. and uh Jekyll and Hyde, and-, Jekyll and, Hyde and-, and Hyde and zombies and you know and so I think that Adam and Eve is a lot more important and it tends to get credit for because yes Barnabas up the ante. But once you had a mad scientist and Barnabas and Adam running around together, it became a full-on monster fest on this sure. show. Sure. Yeah, exactly. The tone of the show changed. Yeah, definitely.
1: And you had Cassandra, A.K.A. Angelique, and Nicholas Nicholas Blair. Oh
2: yeah. Uh, Right, exactly. That month, that era is so supernatural. It's insane.
1: There's a great pic. I love this picture. It's a picture of Victoria Winters of Alexander Mulcahy looking, you know, like the intrepid governess with a fearful look on her face, and she's surrounded by these threatening characters. You have Barnabas with the fangs reaching out. Uh, You have Cassandra looking has an evil look on her face. You have Nicholas casting a spell, and you have Adam kind of looming above them with his arms stretched out, sort of surrounding uh, Vicky, and it's just—it gives you this great sense of like, here's this governess who's surrounded by the by the supernatural. (laughs) It's such a great photo. Um, So yeah, we have Doctor Lang. He he says he can cure uh, Barnabas, and I'm going to put this out there. This is a very long storyline. It lasts for nine months. So we're Mm. gonna we're gonna hit we're gonna just kind of freeform on this one, and we're gonna hit hit the big stuff because it's. In an hour and a half, it would be impossible to cover the entire thing. Yeah, this is a long
2: one. We would need four hours.
1: Oh, yeah. And I will circle back around. I know some people have expressed... You know disappointed that I don't drill in for like hours and hours uh, at a time on on a storyline and it's actually because Squarespace actually limits me to the 160 megabyte files. So mm-hmm. I have to be I have to be under two hour, or actually about an hour and hour and 50 minutes is the max I can push it to. So um so Dr. Lang offers to cure Barnabas and we find out over time he is the Dr. Frankenstein of the show. And of course he is creating a monster Adam. And Dark Shadows, as we know, is very well known for taking classic horror stories and incorporating them into the fabric. Of the show, not only horror stories, but primarily gothic horror tales. Gothic, gothic yeah, like Dorian Gray,
2: for example.
1: Yeah, and yeah. here's here's the Dark Shadows version of Frankenstein. So, yep. tell me, uh, Rich, why do you like this storyline so much?
2: Oh, wow, that's a big question. Um, well, part okay. of it is the first time I watched it, I was struck with how much I enjoyed Robert Rodan's performances. Adam. One of the things I always liked about the original movie Frankenstein is the portrayal of this massive thing this reanimated man you know, with the heart of a kitten, basically, but who is mm-hmm. just treated horribly. And I think it translates well. Sometimes the monsters translate better than other times on the show. And the actor pulled me into it. He made me mm-hmm. care about this guy, even though on, on, on a major level by today's, looking through today's uh, lens, Adam is the biggest incel on the show. <laughs> I have
1: my friend, Eric, who was in episode, who said the exact
2: same
1: thing. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's, he's
2: like an incel, I say. He's an incel. I know, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, but if you look at it through the lens of the 60s and through the lens of gothic literature, which yeah. is, I think, how you have to. I mean, yes. anytime you watch something that's decades old, uh, historical context needs to be taken into account. In this case, it's a soap opera and it's gothic literature. So there's going to be unrequited lust in a monster. It's just they, they, they all have it. So, uh, But I, but his performance pulls me in a lot. As we mentioned, I, I think, Lang, it's hilarious. I, I really enjoyed the relationship uh, between Adam and Stoke. There was a, yes. a gentleness that was there. He was one of the only people to treat him well from start to finish. And so I, I wish we had seen more of that. And I always found it really funny that the last time we see Adam, he goes off to hide in Stokes' room and never comes out again, which is kind of funny. Char- no, it was not a great
1: send-off for a character who was such a prominent character. You
2: know, I think it's a, there's a certain danger inherent in doing this kind of storytelling that that's going to happen. Is It's not the only character who just sort of vanished because, you know, Chris Jennings comes to mind, you know, like yeah. we have characters who just sort of go away and you wonder, well, what happened to them? Like, why aren't yeah. they here? But this is what happens when you have a show running for nine months is no guarantee Nine months of a storyline. I mean, there's no guarantee that either a the audience is going to stick around, or b that the actor is going to stick around, and so yeah. you have to expect these things could happen. And in this case, it did. But I, I think even though the show, story doesn't have a proper send off, in a way, it does. In, in the same way that watching when, when you watch the sh- a show like Lost, and they don't answer the mysteries, and you go, "There's enough for me to read between the lines. I know what this was based on the rest of the show." Lost. So I think we can assume that there, you know he did not just leave him in the room. He got him the help you needed <laughs> um, so um, there yeah. there is a send-off but it requires you to, to fill in the blank yeah I also really enjoy adam's relationship with um weirdly enough uh with barnabas yes which is weird because it, it's such an antagonist needlessly antagonistic relationship oh yeah um, but
1: they're they're mirror they're I mean, they're kind of mirror images of each other yes. in a lot of ways yeah yeah and a lot of people don't really notice that or acknowledge that, but they—they they actually even hint at it in, in the show oh, itself. Sure. You know, Adam says he—he he was my life force, but we're nothing alike. You actually—they right. actually are a lot they of really way. are
2: both alike. You—you you, 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 yeah, exactly, both of them are uh, are, are undead creatures, or reanimated mm-hmm. creatures who fixate on a woman who doesn't really want them and who was willing to kill innocent people just because their needs aren't being met. There's a totally. lot about them that are that is very similar. Exactly. But I think yeah. he's the most underappreciated monster on the show in my opinion
1: it, it always kind of blew my mind that when they did the sadly you know robert rodin pa- passed away recently yeah. but they had him in some of the earlier audio plays in fact he was a prominent it was uh oswald gravener he was a a, a revenant a, a, a sailor of a revenant mm-hmm. of a sailor and he was leading this you know, scurvy crew of of revenants. Uh, oh, and, I look forward
2: to that. Then that's
1: good. Oh yeah, and he was fantastic and that uh, terrifying little that deep voice of his. And I said, wow, you know, they have Robert Rodan, but they know ne- the, those big finish audios often will like try to tie up things in the show. And I'm like, why didn't they do an Adam story if they had access to to Robert Rodan? I'm I'm kind of surprised. And Marie Wallace, like they could have done some interesting yeah. stuff there, you know, but they they. Never did my theory um I'm kind of jumping to the end of the storyline but you b- brought it up where he, he disappears into professor Stokes says you know as a man who's going to remove his scars can remove his scars and adam goes and mm-hmm. goes to yeah, high so I was
2: referencing, yeah I yeah. think that that's what happened
1: Well, see my my theory is okay I know in sam hall's article like he brings adam back and he's he's had the scars removed and he's a successful businessman this is not what I see happening to adam dark shadows very rarely yes. very rarely had happy endings like <laughs> i mean very, very even uh spoilers even uh, you know vicky and peter if you watch the leviathan yeah. sequence it's right, right. not going to be a happy that's ending a
2: pretty either. grim ending That one. Yeah,
1: yeah 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 a lot of fans are upset about that you know there are some you know uh desmond and letitia and uh, and then you know the 1841 parallel time ends with a nice bow on it yeah but but most of the characters and the hope of happiness is always there. It's always almost within reach, but it's always snatched away. It's tragic, you know. It's always snatched away. There's there are very few. My theory on Adam is that if he were to return, he wouldn't have the scars removed. Those scars would be intact, reflecting the inner scars that he sustained during his experience and in Collinsport and beyond. I see it more like I don't know if you've watched the, the Pen Dreadful uh, series, the Showtime I did, series. Yeah. -hmm. That version of the Frankenstein monster.
2: Yeah. Which is very close to I like that. I like what you're saying, yes.
1: Yeah, where he he comes back and he is wounded and
2: bitter and he's venomous.
1: Angry, venomous. And I see Adam getting worse. You know, as he goes on, or I like more, that. or more highly like intelligent, saying. his intelligence will evolve because they mention in the show that he has he will he will develop a genius level intellect. He is a fast learner. I think he is going to become much more like what we see later in Mary Shelley's book with the Frankenstein monster, who does horrible things, like he, he kills yeah. he kills Victor's young brother William, the mm-hmm. child. He tells Victor, "I will be with you on your wedding night." Robert Rodin's <laughs> portrayal of Adam is. Actually, pretty close in a lot of ways to, to Shelley's yep. monster. I think why people, a lot of people, get turned off by and you brought it up. I think when he's pawing at Carolyn and there's this sort of unrequited, mm-hmm. you know, teenage obsession with Carolyn, but it's but it's uncomfortable. It gets very uncomfortable with the Adam and Carolyn. Thing. Uh, it does,
2: and, but I also think that you it fits the character. This yes. is an adult male with an yep. adult male body, but the life, but the life experience of a toddler yep. was he was brought to life by a mad scientist, a vampire and, <laughs> and uh, another yeah, another uh, mad scientist. Another mad scientist who may be the hero or maybe the villain. We're never yeah. <laughs> on the story. If you look at it in terms of like, you know, cat years, <laughs> like he may <laughs> seem like nine months, but he's whatever he is, you know. But yeah. he really when it comes down to is he, a month old, he's already living on his own. Right? Like right? This is this is not a uh, sure. this is not a person who's had any role models at all. But he has human sexual urges, and he's got a, an IQ that is growing far faster than than his moral fiber. And and so I totally buy the person that he is, even if he's not likable. And that's what I really appreciate about it. I don't think we're well, supposed like I don't think we're supposed to in any way admire the things that he does.
1: No. Especially what when I, Nicholas starts to have an influence on him, uh, exactly. Nicholas is a really bad influence. Yeah,
2: yeah, I think I think we, we can empathize. For the same reason, we can empathize with Frankenstein the monster. Sure, uh, not a good person as it goes on, but like you know, how did he end up that way? It's pretty awful. Yeah, yeah and so that's that's how I look at it. I, I mean, Barnabas did wrong by him, and and uh, and really Julia and Lang. Well, Lang died, so you can't really go by that. But but Barnabas and Julia did not do life. And Willie. (laughs) Willie, I was just going to say, with the chicken leg, did not do (laughs) life.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, that's, I mean, talk about bad parenting. Like yeah, so Julia and Barnabas put Adam in the cell in the basement where Barnabas kept Maggie Evans uh, right. year, year, year earlier, you know. Uh, You're
2: familiar with the Who's Tommy? Yes. <laughs> Willie in that scene is basically the evil cousin Kevin, you know, or, yeah. or, or wicked Uncle Ernie, although yeah. uh, it, does, it doesn't go that far, thankfully. It's more of a, you know, he's cousin Kevin, you know, putting uh, thumbtacks in the chairs or whatever else he's doing uh, that Kevin does. So that's the thing. You have three awful parents one of whom dies when he you know too soon to do anything and it's frankly just as well because lang would have been horrible as a parent uh, oh, yeah. And then, and then the babysitter is a real dick to him you know yeah <laughs> and, and is it any wonder then that would he when someone is nice to him carolyn he gloms onto her like in, in an uncomfortable, unnatural way. It's the same reason I like the character Charles Evans on Star Trek in the episode Charlie X if you're a Trek fan. It, yep. Yes, he's yeah. he Star Trek's incel as well. He's a 17-year-old boy who's never been around people. Yeah. And he, he ends up meeting Yeoman Rand and reacts very similar, actually, to how Adam reacts. And and it makes him an unlikable guy, but an understandable, empathizable reaction for somebody who's never had him teach, never taught him right from wrong. He starts
1: dying down- The path, you know, as you pointed out, with Stokes, another wonderful character who was introduced to the show, because. Thayer David had played Matthew Morgan, and then he played Ben Stokes. But this was a very Thayer
2: David is the reason to watch the show.
1: Oh man, that's there's a there is a compelling argument to be made for that because mm-hmm. he was phenomenal. In my
2: opinion, the show's best asset.
1: Oh yeah, and he is mm-hmm. uh, in many ways. We we see Professor Stokes, who is this occult scholar. He is the archetype the Van Helsing archetype, basically yes. in many in many respects. He's the guy you go to if you have some issue with that involves the supernatural or the occult he is the sage occult scholar so he is in many ways he's the show's van Helsing uh and and he's, he's taken
2: advantage of and i love it when he calls them on it oh he does absolutely I, he, absolutely some, some of my favorite moments is when he calls them on him and basically says i notice that you only call me when you need help you know yeah. maybe I won't give it next time and, 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 yeah. and they're like I'm really sorry you're right I, yeah. those are some of my favorite moments
1: absolutely they it's great and and it shows it, it kind of also creates Divide because I've talked about this with people before on on this podcast. Like they can never really bring Professor Stokes into the fold. Like he helps them, but Barnabas and Julia and later Quentin and they—they've done horrible things. Yeah. Like they've all done really, they've murdered people. There's no I mean, way
2: Stokes would be behind it. No. In fact, he might try to vanquish all of them. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. He wouldn't be cool with that.
2: Including uh, Julia. He would probably take her out too. Maybe, you maybe. know, the whole, <laughs> the whole. like these are heroes who do arguably worse things than, than the villains. So Right. Right. <laughs> uh,
1: it just, I just don't. Yeah. yeah I, so they can't, I mean, it's unfortunate in a way because it doesn't fully include Stokes in a lot of the adventures. Although he does. Uh, for, unless for you're reading take.
2: gold key. <laughs> (laughs) In which he practically lives at the house, has dinner there each night, and is aware (laughs) of everything.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But there is a great scene uh, where the other aspect of this storyline, there are two sort of arcs within this overall storyline. You have the uh, creation of Adam and the dream curse, which we're going to talk about too. And then we have the creation of Eve and the introduction of Nicholas Blair. So the dream curse, of course, uh, you know, we met... In 1795, another major iconic Dark Shadows character in Angelique Bouchard Collins, the the witch who curses Barnabas everybody, you know, Angelique is, she's legendary, you know, so of course they, they, they have to bring back Angelique. There's no way you can introduce a character who's that popular and not bring them back. So.
2: Especially on a show where actors play more than one character. Yes. Like it, it, it's just it, built into the DNA to bring her back. Totally. Yeah.
1: And the, I love the scene where uh, Vicky finds a painting in town, brings it, and Barnabas is there and they uncover the painting. And it's that moment It just becomes this recurring thing. And anytime Angelique shows up, Barnabas says, Angelique, you know, that that reaction, you know, that he had such a great reaction of shock and horror when he sees that. And of course, you know, the whole through the whole Barnabas storyline, Angelique, of course, was never referenced because they hadn't come up with her yet. So it's kind of an awesome thing to finally in the present day, Barnabas for the first time says her name, you know, and so this painting, of course, is connected to Angelique's life force in some way. It shows up again later, even during the Leviathan storyline. She's somehow, her life force somehow is connected to this painting, but it keeps her anchored somehow to the present day. And so Angelique, Roger Collins shows up at Collinwood and he has married Cassandra, who is Angelique with black hair talk about Cassandra Collins what you, what did you think of this incarnation of Angelique
2: I like most of the incarnations of angelique and I I, I like Cassandra I I found it amusing as hell that the same man who married a phoenix <laughs> now uh, married Angelique. Uh, <laughs> so this this guy's so unlucky at love. You know, like he, he 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 goes for you know breathtaking blonde women who are just plain evil. Like he's got a type. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like the guy, the guy cannot catch a break. Like what, what was going to be next? You, uh, I guess I guess next you would have married a uh, succubus. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. What was like uh, he would the, the, uh, he would have married a leviathan yeah, so uh, it was it was just getting absurd but i i enjoy her a lot i really like her interactions with nicholas who Nick, nicholas is one of those characters where you almost almost you know it's stressing can never go wrong with almost never go wrong with nicholas there there are, you know he's one of those characters that can be a little overused because he shows up a lot but mm-hmm. but i enjoy the hell out of nicholas and uh Pun intended on enjoy the hell out of, but but I I just, this is, there's something about Cassandra that works, even though it is a very fake looking wig, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but it's, it injected something into that house that Laura didn't quite inject because Laura spent most of her time sitting in another house, ignoring them. And that Barnabas didn't inject because Barnabas is on their side, but they basically brought evil to come live in the house with them. In my opinion it it works on a on a level that I mean, it's not like the show hadn't had evil before, but it works on a level that uh, the show hadn't had before.
1: It's invasive. It's an yes, invasive exactly. di- invasive diabolic force that is now entrenched itself exactly. and, and from the past. You, you just returned.
2: said a better wording than what I came yeah. up with. Yeah, and, that's an
1: well, and this is this is also, you know, it's a gothic trope, the, some some e- ancient evil from the past returning to haunt the present, right. to, to cause problems in the present. Um, she's here because... Barnabas is existing in the present. he is cured ostensibly of vampirism although George Dicenzo associate producer once you know he would also serve as an assistant to Dan Curtis and he wrote a letter to a fan once explaining that because Barnabas's affliction is supernatural that no medical cure would ever actually be permanent. Although with the Adam situation, there's definitely a balance of life and death happening because as you pointed out, Adam also straddles the line between life and death. So there's a balance and a connection between the two of them where one can feel what happens to the other. There's some alchemy, weird alchemy happening here. But Angelique is not pleased that Barnabas has managed to escape her curse. So she casts the dream curse, a new curse that she casts. And people will become very familiar with the dream curse as it goes. Because I guess, I mean, it was a way of including all of the cast members in the storyline because there, there were a lot of characters. There were a lot of plates, Spinning here, and they wanted to keep everybody sort of involved. So, through sight and sound and faceless terror, through endless corridors, by trial and error ahead, a blazing light does burn, and one door leads to the point of return. That was just burned into my yeah. synapses when I first. We heard it about
2: 106 movie. times. Oh, it was it, almost exactly. <laughs> Between that and Dr. Lang's recording, like they were yes. just—it was almost impossible <laughs> not to memorize those. It
1: definitely, yeah, mm-hmm. and so uh, the dream curse. It's one person has the dream, and they have to describe the, every step of the dream to the next person and they will be driven mad if they don't they they the person has to tell this dream the person who had the dream has to tell the next person or they will be driven mad they cannot rest until and it just becomes progressively worse and the next person has the dream which of course features this beckoner who leads them into a strange room looks Like something out of a David Lynch movie or something, <laughs> you know. That's a but good, our, it's a good analogy, yeah. Yeah, it's strange, and then there are all these
2: doors. Yeah, they, the and, character of the fireman would fit well in Dark Shadow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But
1: it's, yeah. But it's weird. I mean, I get what they were going for. It would be interesting to see the Dream Curse done on a big budget level. I mean, as it was, it came across looking like something you'd see at like a sideshow carnival. You know, where you open the door and there's the Guillotine that falls down, and there's the skeleton bride, and it's something you see in a haunt. You'd see in a haunted house at a carnival. Yeah, that's,
2: that's a good way to put it.
1: It really, that's kind of what it what it feels like. But. It didn't matter. Whoever saw those things was absolutely beside themselves with fear. And they were really playing up how, how scary it was, especially John Carlin.
2: My favorite moment in the whole Dream Curse storyline is John Carlin going into the dream.
1: I, I laughed because John Carlin was just super terrified of what he was looking at, at these, <laughs> you know, these things. Um, so and ultimately, the, the goal of the dream curse is to return the vampire curse to Barnabas Collins and return him to the world of the undead. So thoughts on the dream curse?
2: You know, the best way for me to answer that is to step out of Dark Shadows for one second and it'll be brief. When I went to see um, the Phantom Menace in theaters, I went with a friend of mine and when we were all done. I said, what would you think of it? He thought about it for a second and he said, I give the concept four stars and I give the execution only half that amount. And I said, that's an interesting statement. He said, I get what they were doing and I actually really like what they were going for. But there were problems getting there. That's how I view the dream Curse. I actually, there's not a single storyline on Dark Shadows I can't sit through. There are some where I go, oh, if this were only four months sh- uh, shorter, I'd be happier. But there's none that I can't sit through. But the dream curse sometimes comes close only, not that it's bad, not that I don't enjoy it, but it's for the very things that you described. We see the same imagery over and over again, and it's it's really not scary. But here's the thing I could say. I have had nightmares You know, at points in my life, where I wake up and go, "Why was I scared of that?" Yeah, like it could be. And this is not an actual dream in my head, but everybody has had a dream where they just go, "What was that?" Right? Mm. You wake up and go, "Why was I scared of asparagus?" I have no idea. (laughs) Right. And so if you have a dream in which you're scared of asparagus, it's not the asparagus that is scaring you. There's something symbolic about it your brain is perceiving that is causing you to be terrified. And for whatever reason, your brain has come up with this utterly ridiculous metaphor that whatever it was you were upset about is an asparagus, but your brain perceived it. So you wake up in a cold sweat. Sure. I can enjoy the dream curse with that in mind, that yeah. part of the dream curse isn't that just that Angelique said, you know, here's a $2 skull head screamed, right? Yeah. It was that Angelique injected into them terror, that these yes. things were going to inspire some primitive fear in them that is going to resonate. And they may not even know why. For all we know, that really was the scariest thing John Carlin ever saw. Because at sure. some point in Willie's life, uh, there was something too horrible for him to see, and these images are bringing it out. Right? Who knows? Sure. They're symbolic. Yeah. Yes, exactly, and that is yeah. the reason I can I can get through the dream curse despite its yeah. redundancy well, and the fact yeah you know, that the images aren't that great because. It's, it's meant to be psychological. Like she's not showing them a Saw movie. <laughs> yeah. She, she's not showing them something that's truly horrific to right. watch. She's, she's showing them an archetypal image and it's, it's going to evoke an emotional reaction from them. And some of it them- It's meant to inflict terror.
1: Yes, exactly. Excellent. That's, that's an excellent way to describe it. And a lot of the, a lot of the things that are seem tailored to the specific character look like for example, Lang. When Lang has the dream curse, he sees a, a headless body. You yes. know, um, there they some of them. Eric Marshall and I was we started kind of going back and forth and trying to figure out how each image ties. So we figured out a lot of them, but some where we couldn't quite figure it out. But yeah, I, I like I think Julia saw the bats. You know, and she's obsessed with was so obsessed with Kiering Bar. Barnabas is in, in, yeah. is in love with Barnabas.
2: And so that's, And in the back of her mind knows there's always the fear that she's in love with a guy who could bite her. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the bad yeah. image makes total sense. Yeah.
1: yeah. So there, there, are some things, there, there are a lot of things I think that seem tied to that character's sort of some subliminal kind of well, uh, image. What was
2: it that Willie saw? Because I'm drawing a blank. I right. want to
1: say it was the wolf. I think it was. I'm I'm not. Into, I, I'm pretty sure it was the wolf that really pushed him over the edge and had him screaming. And I think that was one of the ones where like, why the wolf? Why? Why is
2: that because i i would i would say maybe it's the fact that Predator. a wolf oh, oh yeah exactly what i was just going to say this is a man who has surrounded himself uh <laughs> not 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 by his own volition but he has surrounded himself with predators at this yeah. point you know yeah. he, he's for a while enslaved and then voluntarily serving yeah an undead creature Sure. And he
1: himself was a predator at one point, you know. Yes,
2: exactly. In the very early days, he was a great. And uh, now he's now he's hanging out with with a reanimated monster created by a mad scientist. And his other best friend is may may also be a a mad scientist and is in love with the guy who's holding him uh, as a slave. So he is surrounded by people who have the power and he does not. Right. Excellent. Good, good. And in fact, you could even, you could take that even further. The entire Collins family wanted him off the premises. And the only reason that they've allowed him to stay is because Barnabas made the case and then they grew to accept him. But there's not a single person in that house (laughs) who wouldn't be happier without him gone. This is a man with no power whatsoever. And so the wolf image makes total sense to me.
1: Yeah, excellent, excellent analysis there. Um, So moving on, so we have, again, there's a lot to cover here. So I'm going to touch, just kind of touch on some of these things. We have, I mentioned earlier, you know, the car accident, they saw Mm -hmm. Jeff Clark. So Jeff Clark, who looks exactly like Peter Bradford, but- Because of course he does. (laughs) Because of course he does, yes. Well, like the, the sort of lost love idea and the hope that he might be Peter Bradford, but he remembers nothing about his past- Although it's pretty obvious that he's Peter Bradford because, you know, every so often he'll remember something or act in a certain way that wakes up from a dream and tries to strangle Joe Haskell because he looks right. like Nathan Forbes and, like, clearly he's he's Peter Bradford. And there's this whole love story with Vicki and Peter and uh, Jeff, and which doesn't get resolved until way later on. Like, the end of that storyline, basically, is where he finally remembers that he is Peter Bradford and then right. he
2: disappears into the past. You know, there, there, are, there are certain aspects of the character that I think worked and others that don't like I or, or end of the actor's performances like Dirk the vampire is one of my very favorite things about the show yeah. Dirk the vampire is awesome so could he have been great a, 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 as Jeff and Peter yeah maybe maybe if the character were you know a be, little better written but it's hard to say I, I think part of the problem I have is I don't think that there's a lot of great chemistry between Roger mm-hmm. Davis and Alexandra Mulkey. And I, I, that may be what part of the problem is. I, when I watch the show that there are certain couples I feel for, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Joe and Maggie come. To yes. like, oh, I, 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 I get pulled into them because I genuinely like both. It's so
1: sad how that ends in the show. Yeah. So it's just like really- yeah. And,
2: and, you know, and, and they just, there's such a great chemistry, Barnabas and Julia is another example. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, we're like, I'm pulling for both of them because I'm very caught up in the performance and more, more importantly, how the actor's connect with each other and i just never i never really fully understood what it was that she sees in clark yeah. uh, who's kind of a to her let alone yeah. to everybody else he's yeah. just angry and yells a lot and then he and then and then he she acts like he's the greatest thing she, he hurts her several times and um no i think what i'm what i'm probably overlooking here is that none of this is accidental it's by design this is a damaged man who yes. doesn't know who he is uh, he had a hard life a couple centuries ago, and uh, he's a fish out of water who doesn't even know he's a fish out of water. Um, so how could and,
1: and digging up graves for Dr. Lang to get black exactly. parts and
2: treated terribly. And if you're not happy, it's very hard to be happy with someone sure. else. Anybody well- else? so. I should probably cut him some slack there. But but honestly, there are very few characters on the show where I can't find something to enjoy about. I, yeah. I It's not that I hate him and I don't put him in that category. But Jeff Clark's a character, it's a hard sell for me.
1: Hard sell. Yeah. I liked him as Peter because he seemed kind when he was yes, Peter. Yes, I like him yeah. a
2: lot more as Peter. I yeah. Uh,
1: there's a, a fan theory that, you know, they mention, I, th- I don't know if it's, I think it's Stokes later on mentions that. He believes that Peter Bradford's spirit took possession of a man who looked exactly like Peter Bradford, like physically looked like Peter Bradford. And there's a theory that it's uh, Ned Stewart who shows up later because he's even angrier. Oh, my God. I love that. He's even angrier than than Jeff Clark. So maybe there was some like, you know, some you just, aspect
2: that just entered my head, Canon. That is yeah. <laughs> totally how I now will yeah. see that. That's, There's
1: some aspect weird. of Ned that, that, that maybe makes me finally like Ned. Yeah. Well, he's he's and when he shows up, like they're they like Jeff, like Jeff Clark, like that's the first yeah. thing they say. So
2: maybe yeah, maybe, oh, maybe. I kind of love that.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely something that's a possibility there. So okay, so we have this going on throughout this storyline. Then we have uh, Reverend Trask's ghost returns. Another great character. It's so awesome. Like they ended seventeen ninety five, but seventeen ninety five provided so much. Fuel for yes. subsequent storylines. It and
2: reverberated throughout the rest of the show. To it some really time. did. It sure and this, did. I mean, I, I consider that and 1897 the best things the show did, yep. and and um and they both reverberate. But 1795 is is an extraordinary moment for the show. Yeah. It changes everything that comes afterwards. And you're absolutely right.
1: I mean, it's the first time where you saw a full origin story for a vampire. You know, Varney the Vampire made some reference and you know, talked about how Varney yes. became, but this This sort of like you got a full backstory for how Barnabas. You you read the
2: intro to my book. (laughs) At least (laughs) one person read my intro. But yeah, Varney. Yeah, Varney is. I'm glad you brought him into this because he tends to get overlooked a lot. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. People will talk about this spot and they'll talk about yeah. I was
1: I've been aware numbers. of Barney for a number of years. Yeah. Okay, so, good. Yeah. yeah. You Penny, know,
2: so characters Penny characters like them. or yeah. You know, come and think of it. If you call yourself Penny Dreadful, of course, <laughs> you know, that, obviously. yeah. <laughs> uh, but because uh, I know what Penny, Dreadful, I, I know what that, is, that term means. And there's no way you would be a fan of Penny Dreadfuls without knowing Barney. Sure. So. Yeah. You know, String you know, like Penny, and
1: String of Pearls. And sure. absolutely.
2: <laughs> So like he he tends to be overlooked unfortunately but Mm -hmm. um, maybe because it's not it's not the best written story in the world but it is the granddaddy of um, reluctant vampires and I I I do I do see a lot of people say Barnabas was the first one and I, I I hate to say anything that'll take away from the show because. He mm-hmm. Barnabas is certainly an extraordinary character, but Barnabas has his roots in Varney. And anyone who's sure. a Dark Shadows fan, I'm not going to tell you that, that Varney the Vampire uh is a, a work of a masterpiece because it's not it's kind of hard to read it without thinking of Barney the dinosaur, first of all. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, it's a terrible you know, name for proactively that yeah. name and ended up hurting it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: it isn't it, it and it's and Varney isn't the only sympathetic vampire. And then we have, of course, uh Gloria Holden, Countess Zaleska, and Dracula's daughter i would say has go. sympathetic Absolutely. dracula's uh,
2: daughter is another great example sure yes. so, yeah so Bar- i see barnabas not as the beginning as some people refer to him but as the first truly significant one since yes. the early days Agreed. Would you agree with that one? I,
1: I agree. Yeah, it's the yeah. First,
2: and I would say first also fully realized and explored. Yes. And it's because uh, of 1795.
1: Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And but, without uh,
2: 1795, we might not have appreciated him as much post-1795 because we wouldn't have cared as much if we hadn't seen Barnabas as a person.
1: Absolutely. Um, but we have a character from 1795 who was very well-remembered and, and iconic in his own right. Reverend Trask, the fanatical mm-hmm. witch hunter, Reverend Trask. And when his ghost returns, he does all kinds of amazing things. Like he puts Barnabas on trial for his yeah. murders, which is awesome. I love
2: that scene. Oh, it's so good. It's You, you um, cannot go wrong with Trasks. Almost yeah. 100% true. Agreed. <laughs> totally agreed. Just, like Almost characters. 100%. Like it, it it's it's not at 100% cuz there's one or two. But but Well, the the, but, the butler
1: was not, uh, you know, yeah, that's not the one up there to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was probably the, yeah. the parallel time Trask. He was, was,
2: he was not up to snuff. But he was okay. The the reward, he was okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: You just wasn't. Yeah. He yeah. just wasn't like
2: as memorable, you know, but You just don't care about him. That's the thing compared to the yeah. others. Yeah. Right. It's right. It's like having a giant, a, a wonderful steak feast for a month, then someone hands you a steak and You go, well, you know, it was, it was enjoyable, but it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't the t bone. Yeah. Um, so,
1: so they said. So Reverend Trask, you know, puts Barnabas on trial, but he's and walls him up. He's found guilty, of course. Because he actually is guilty. Because he is.
2: He actually is. Because he's arguably the worst (laughs) villain on the
1: show. (laughs) Yes. But anyway, uh, so we have uh, Tras comes back, but then he's, it's interesting because in death, as a ghost, he's pointed in the right direction. I mean, there was a witch at Collinwood, but it wasn't Victoria Winters, it was Angelique. And then he sets his sights on Cassandra, which is. Pretty cool. Uh, the whole uh, he does the whole exorcism, tying her to mm-hmm. to the tree, and vanquishes Angelique, which is pretty pretty phenomenal. Pretty phenomenal. But he's right? because nobody being.
2: can defeat Angelique, so that's pretty right. phenomenal that that Trask did it. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. So
1: Trask sends her back to hell, presumably, and shortly thereafter, her brother, quote unquote, Nicholas Blair, shows up at the house at Collinwood, the urbane Humbert allen Estredo as uh, Nicholas Blair. I might as well get this out of the way. I've been asking this to several of my guests on the podcast. Nicholas Blair, warlock or demon and why?
2: Oh, I love that question because <laughs> depending on the storyline, your answer will change. Okay, he presents himself as a warlock, but there's this, I, I forget the, the line, but he kind of specifically implies he's a demon at one point.
1: With the the pact, right? When he talks about the
2: pact. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. The 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 Mm -hmm. pact is a good example. I'm going to skirt the question and say he's a combination of the two. That (laughs) because I, I, I see him as what he was a man okay he was human he became, at one point okay yeah I think he was human I think he he is an extraordinarily powerful occultist and he was given demonhood I think okay. that would explain both Okay. <laughs> and, okay. It, and it's not on it's not unprecedented in gothic fiction anyway you know so uh mm-hmm. I think that uh I kind of see it that way I think that there was definitely a human aspect to him because he suffers in hell mm-hmm. and and if he was a demon he probably wouldn't okay. but uh, he also is part of a hierarchy which would make him more than human
1: he doesn't want to be in hell like he clearly does not want to go back there and uh, during 1897 angelique points out that creatures like her do exist in hell during when they're like not on the mortal plane so it's presumably witches and warlocks get sent down there and they, they hang out down there until they <laughs> satan needs them for some sort of mission it's I, yeah, they're, I, they're
2: in hell's uh vegas lounge just
1: right now. right i suspect you know from a sort of a non-storyline perspective i think i'm re-watching that i get the sense that the writers introduced him as a demon but then changed their minds and made him a warlock
2: later If you mind, i'll just take that mm-hmm. one step further i don't think they necessarily had a demon mind i think he was satan oh because, you think he uh, was satan himself yeah because old Nick is an old term sure. for Nicholas, right? So you take old Nick and reverse it, you get Nick old. Oh, I, I think that the original intention and in was that he was Satan. And then they went, whoa, 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 we can't do that. That's what I think. And so they yeah. said, we'll make him a demon. And then, they, and then they backpedaled a little because he needed to face recriminations for what he does. And that if he had a human soul... Mm-hmm. that would be better for storytelling. And I think they also knew, I think we know watching this show that this is a show that reinvents itself in terms of its history. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, just, uh, just ask Jeremiah. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. I don't even know that. They, so it, they either consciously changed him or they just said, I don't even remember what we did, but now he's a woman. Sure, I, I like who, who coming
1: up. I like looking at like the real reasons they did so. But I also, I'm this kind of geek where I like like to find story within the story explanations yeah. for it, like storyline. I'm totally line. with you on that. Yeah, like it's just this... You sort- mentioned
2: my Star Wars fiction. I, I tried to pepper it with things like that. where well, awesome. I make story sense out of things that make no sense. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I love that stuff. And I've, I used to love the articles and, and essays and fanzines where they actually would address things like that in an in-canon way. Um, so Cassandra is exercise... Before she left, you know, this plane of existence, she did put a curse on uh, Elizabeth, a spell on Elizabeth, and she develops this obsession with death and being Mm -hmm. buried alive. This is Poe, Edgar Allan Poe. Premature burial comes to mind with regard Mm -hmm. to Poe for Elizabeth. And I remember there was this really, the funeral scene, the dream that Elizabeth has where it's her funeral and... Roger and uh, Carolyn are at her funeral and there's this dissonant sort of organ music playing in the background. It's such a creepy dream. That dream was kind of stuck with me. Um, But it's, you know, that one kind of goes on for quite a while with Elizabeth's obsession with death
2: thoughts on any thoughts on that. Well, for one thing, I'm glad that you asked me at that point, because you, one of your first questions to to me was whether or not I remembered anything from the fact that my mom watched it when I was wearing diapers. (laughs) Well, Mm -hmm. The answer is still the same, but there is there was one caveat, and I was waiting until we got to this point in the conversation. One thing I do remember is that one of my uncles, uh, well, it is a family friend, but I called him an uncle, also watched it. And I do remember specifically when I was a kid, and we would go there a lot, and he and my mom were talking about the, their shock that they had killed one of the characters and that she seemed to be buried alive. And oh. I always wondered, so the first time I marathoned this show, I kept wondering, who were they talking about? I kept waiting for that to happen. And when it happened to Elizabeth, I was like, ah, I finally, after all these years of having this this one little, you know, like, because um, my mom didn't really remember it. She hadn't watched it since you the know, 60s and early 70s. So I had this, this this question of who had been buried alive on the show. But so that being said, I think that there are two storylines on the show, well, arguably three storylines in the show that would be a whole lot better if they were shorter. One is the dream curse. One is the Leviathans, which I, weirdly enough, absolutely hated the first time I saw it and absolutely loved the second time. Interesting. Um, Wow. (laughs) Totally different reactions. I was kind of shocked. I was confused. Like, why do I love this so much? But but the third one, well, technically it's not the third one, but the premature burial. I think that by its very nature, a person sitting in a box thinking can become dull. (laughs) Yeah. And... And so, uh, especially when you, you, it takes forever for a person to just, for months, to be just walking through a house with a "woe is me" attitude. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm gonna... So I think that that actually would have been pretty dynamic if it had been shorter. I, I think there's a certain creep factor to it that works well, but it is it is undermined by how long it takes for Elizabeth's burial to, you know, because according to my notes, the, the, the it begins at 513 and, and ends at 672, which is a really long time.
1: It really uh, is, yeah
2: you know we're we're looking at hundred and sixty episodes of of a woman saying, oh, I'm gonna die. when I die, do this, you know put me in this and give me a you know a way out and it lasts into the Chris Jennings werewolf storyline. Right, exactly. Line. Like, it's yeah. just like goes it, yeah. That far. yeah yeah, it overlaps that. it overlaps um Quentin's the beginning of Quentin Collins ghost. it overlaps. Yeah. Uh, It just keeps going. Here's the funny thing about it is like when we see things like this happen, we understand why the actors need vacations. And so there has to be an in-story reason why Roger or Elizabeth would suddenly vanish. Although I absolutely find it hilarious how often roger just vanishes and misses important things on oh sure like the the That's whole su- the issue. whole uh, summer of
1: 1970 haunting storyline like
2: roger's in europe
1: like it's like yeah. wait
2: a minute Why? it's hilarious like <laughs> he just basically goes away for a month gets drunk and comes home and, and hey i'm back what happened yeah <laughs> you know, like, yes and it's uh like- but i think you know i think that the reason the elizabeth burial storyline takes so long i would say probably is in that category Yeah, because they needed to you know find her- there's only so many times you can have elizabeth the matriarch or the house who doesn't want to leave the house there's only mm-hmm. so many times you can yeah. find reasons for sure. her not to be in the house right sure. yeah so ending up in a hospital is one ending yeah. up in a box is another
0: yeah yeah but so it
2: that- does drag but I, I i i don't dislike it i just think when you look at the stories that are going on at the same time oh, as yeah the dream curse chris jennings and quentin collins ghosts they're all more dynamics than. Than Elizabeth saying, woe is me 112 times. It's true. Would would you Uh, agree with that? Like, it's uh, not that it's bad. It's that those other three storylines stand out more. Agreed. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I agree. I I don't dislike I think it's an interesting thing to do with Elizabeth, you know. Poor Elizabeth, and Adam all, and
2: Eve, by the way, so it's actually four storylines. Sure, right? yeah. Good.
1: I mean, poor Elizabeth all always ends up in a, in a catatonic state that happened with yeah, Laura. Sure. Laura put her in a catatonic state yep. as well. And mm-hmm. this time she's, you know, appears to be dead, thanks to Angelique. Uh, but
2: And then she ends up controlled by the Leviathans. I mean, this yes. is not catch a break. It's like, it's like Roger and his and his blonde wives. Like, these characters yeah, yes. cannot catch a break. <laughs> it's know? true,
1: it's true. Yeah. And this is kind of the point to in the series you know during the the uh, Adam and Eve storyline where the mortal characters uh take backseat to the to the supernatural characters yes. the supernatural characters really start steering the ship a lot during this uh this storyline it was arguably actually even in 1795 that yes. that starts to happen but it really kind of blossoms yeah here because where,
2: it starts off with uh with Vicki going back there then she just becomes a background
1: player she does yeah and yeah. every i mean everybody Maggie uh Joe mm-hmm. the, the Collins family all of right. them they serve as victims really to the supernatural as you pointed out with with Elizabeth Elizabeth, you know, she's all these things happen to her and all these things happen to Roger and Carolyn. They all are targets for the supernatural going. So we care about them. They're the Collins family. Every time it returns to the present day it's exciting for me because it's like, oh, we're back with the family we know, like, that we've been following all along. But yeah, I it, am
2: glad that they stayed with the show. Like, I am glad yeah. that even though the show understandably had to make a change or it wouldn't have lasted. So, yes. But but I do love the fact that even though Roger and Elizabeth and sometimes Carolyn and often David, even though those yeah. four characters will <laughs> disappear for long periods, that they will always still be there. Yes. In some form or another.
1: Exactly. I agree. A agreed. nice
2: connection to the early years.
1: Yeah. I, I agree with that. So, moving on um so nicholas blair shows up he brings cassandra back and is not thrilled with her progress uh in returning the curse to barnabas and kind of gives her an ultimatum to get the job done. But then he finds out about Adam and becomes obsessed with Adam and befriends Adam, who was being tutored by Professor Stokes. He's hidden in Collinwood. Carolyn has befriended Ash. She, she's, she feels something for Adam, whether it's, whether it's pity or so, so. She's drawn to Ash. She feels some connection to Adam. And this becomes a recurring thing with Carolyn too, where she's drawn to, to these supernatural creatures that show up in the show. She hides Adam in the West Wing of Collinwood, and Professor Stokes knows he's there. Professor Stokes has been helping Adam. Carolyn has been helping Adam. But now there's a monkey wrench thrown into the mix with Nicholas Blair, who comes up with this insane scheme, which is Mm -hmm. so dark shadows. He wants Adam and this mate that they're going to have created to mate with each other and produce a race that is devoted to Satan, uh, and
2: nobody <laughs> bothers to ask Eve if that's what she wants, which is what yeah. the problem. Yeah. Yes, it's <laughs> yeah. it's real. because unlike Adam, where they where they create a a child in a in a man's form, they. Yeah. Eve comes fully formed, and and it has an attitude, and and, right. and has been hurt by men. So the idea that they thought this would work is kind of absurd. Why well, did Nicholas think this would work? I don't know. Right. They, well, but these, he's so arrogant. That's the, Nicholas believes his, he will always come out on top. He's one of those great yes. characters who is. He got only one blind spot, and that's himself.
1: Yes, it, it is his yeah. own arrogance. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, you're absolutely right. Yeah. He also punishes Cassandra with this ironic thing and. Turns her into a vampire herself. Oh, so now love we it. get Angelique as a vampire kind and of
2: Joe as a vampire victim, which I don't think anybody yes. would have seen coming the first time they watch it. It's so upsetting, and it's
1: an echo in many ways of you know Barnabas victimizing Maggie. Now we have yeah. Angelique victimizing Joe. Like there, yep. there are a lot of parallels in Dark Shadows if we look at it. There are a lot of parallels to kind For of sure. things that happened before. You know, uh, so yeah, absolutely. So thoughts on. on this on Nicholas's Scheme or on Vampire
2: Angelique? Well, Vampire Angelique is great because what we have now at this point is a reanimated witch vampire. Yes. One of the things I I love, and uh, Ross Johnson touched on it in the essay in, in Using Our Monsters, is that this show doesn't just use classic monsters. Sometimes it combines them. Yeah. And the best example, of course, uh, and this is, you, you can obviously get to this with a later broadcast, but uh, Quentin, who is a warlock, demon, vampire, ghost, zombie. And, <laughs> and immortal. And-, <laughs> right, and immortal, warlock, demon, vampire, ghost, <laughs> and not vampire, I'm sorry, werewolf, ghost, zombie. It's like they just said, "Here's a checklist. What haven't we done? Here's all six of them." And but before that, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'd call Quentin a full-blown warlock. He's a, a he. That is true. He dabbles he's a, in the occult. He's a dabbler, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but, uh, but but like basically, they take these different concepts of monsters and combine them. And so yeah. that's what they did with Angelique here because yes. we have a she's not just a witch. She's also come back to life. So she's a reanimated person. She's gone to hell and come back. And she hangs out there she might be partly demonic now. And yeah. now she's a vampire. So, yeah. and, and I think that just makes her fun. If you can combine monsters, they become sure. more interesting. I people. think
1: that's why she, uh, the, just as a said, nerdy theory I'm throwing out. I think this is why she is able to cast a reflection in the mirror because she isn't pure vampire like like Barnabas is a vampire. Right. She is a combination of
2: a witch. She's a and witch a- and possibly demonic. So at this point, she is so much more than Anjali. A Bouchard. different
1: species of
2: vampire, shall we say. Absolutely. And, and <laughs> it, it makes for a fascinating twist. One of the things the show has almost always gotten right is vampires. Yeah. There are very few times where you go, that vampire is boring. That just doesn't <laughs> There are characters that are boring and there are there are actors who played five or six different characters that don't work, and then they suddenly play a vampire, and you go, "My God, I love him, keep him." So vampires work on the show. Why? I don't. I don't know. But Dirk is the perfect example, and so is Angelique Krambar. But uh, it shouldn't work, and yet it really does. Uh, I, I love the idea because now this is a woman who caused all of Barnabas's problems. Although a good argument could be made, Barnabas caused his own problems. Oh, yeah, sure. In addition to being like they're, they're, the funny thing is they're both each other's victim and they're both each other's predator. Well, predators.
1: it's like Ma- Magda exactly. says in eighteen, Magda says in eighteen ninety seven to Rachel Drummond about Barnabas and Angelique. She was. Those two, they deserve each other.
2: I said, "Oh
1: yeah,
2: yes, you got it. Yep." Uh, uh, other than uh, other than Stokes, Magda is my favorite character on oh, the show. she's I,
1: wonderful. I, yeah,
2: I would have loved to see them transplant her. Not just keep Julia, just transplant Magda. Oh, Magda's <laughs> great. More Magda.
1: I, yeah, more Grayson Magda, Hall, yeah. Grayson Hall's favorite character too. Yep, uh, I understand. I think most. Yeah.
2: I think I get the feeling from interviews that many of the actors who didn't even play her would put her at the top. Yeah,
1: <laughs> she's so much fun as is Stokes I love Absolutely. when he goes in my favorite dream curse sequence is when he actually goes into the dream curse yes. breaks all the rules and confronts yep. Angelique and they have that <laughs> wonderful scene and I'm like oh my god this is just amazing like firing on all cylinders with it's, that, it's with him that at that his
2: scene. most Van Helsingist oh, yeah, it really is yeah it really is um, but it but uh, it it works the her her as a vampire and her inter- her interactions with Stokes work in the ways that some Angelique scenes don't like mm-hmm. Ange- Angelique is one of those characters where she's a fantastic character and almost all of what they do is great some of it gets a little ridiculous but well, she's
1: super powerful sometimes where it's like, that's uh, the problem but it's same with Nicholas it's the same thing with Nicholas like yeah. they're both like sometimes they're like too super po- but I love that Angelique actually finds the chink in Nicholas's armor he is yes. in love with Matt. Evans, uh, he he develops these because, of course, on Dark Shadows, all the monsters can fall in love. So Nicholas, see
2: that—that to me is one of the biggest pieces of evidence for those who would say he's not demonic. Mm -hmm. He's capable of love, and so, uh, but that's why my my theory works. If he was a human being who was elevated, he has human foibles. He has Mm -hmm. demonic powers. He has human ambition, but he had, and so he, but he also has human traits. Right. When Adam asks him
1: if you love her, don't you? He says that's not a word I like to
2: use. (laughs) Right. Yeah, because that doesn't go over well with, uh, in the Demon Club, right? So, and he, uh,
1: yeah. I mean, there's also an art. Maybe he's drawn to her because she's innocent, and he wants to somehow corrupt that innocence. I don't know, but Angelique, she's all set with Nicholas. She's she, have, you know, has the scene in Hell, Dark Shadows, goes to Hell, which is such a great. I sequence. was
2: just going to bring that in. The fact yeah. that they actually, even even if they shied away, even if my theory is correct that it was going to be Nicholas was Old Nick. The point is, they still brought the devil in, and they only did it for I think it was two episodes. Right, with yeah, Diabolo. I think it
1: was too. Yeah,
2: but it's Who a was, great scene. It's great. It really I
1: mean, this is the devil
2: it, is on dark it actually shadows. actually did it's, it. I couldn't they, believe it. Yeah, yeah.
1: I remember the first time I watched that when mm-hmm. I was a kid. I was really freaked out by that, like just the weird sounds in the background, and it just was a really kind of disturbing. Because you know, I,
2: but it I, is kind of funny that he has an office. Yeah. Hell is apparently in a, <laughs> like an a office complex. He like, has, is there like a demonic secretary sitting in the next room taking a? calls yeah yeah (laughs) bringing him his demon coffee right right the worst ceo no sugar of course because that would make (laughs) it taste too good
1: anyway so we're kind of jumping around here but they created eve marie wallace who was just fantastic as the bride of frankenstein so we had frankenstein happening now they do the bride of frankenstein naturally we have to do the bride of frankenstein so absolutely Adam, she's great. Yeah, she's fantastic. Adam, who's under Nicholas's uh, influence, has become a bully. Uh, Adam tells them, You're going to make a mate for me, or I will kill everyone at Collinwood, starting with Victoria Winters. He threatens. It almost
2: seems like the writers wanted us to stop empathizing with him because once he said that, because there's a child living there. Yeah. So once he said that, he ends up as bad as Barnabas, who tried sure. to kill David. Right. So absolutely. It, sure. So at that point, it's almost like the writers were undermining themselves. And you know, it, there's there's a, there's a larger picture to fandom, which is that they don't seem to like Adam. And I I I wonder why. But mm-hmm. could it be that the writers were inconsistent? It's because. On some con- level, whether it's conscious or subconscious, they're picking up on the fact that the writing of Adam was not consistent. You're supposed to pity him, but he's saying, give me a woman that I will own or I will kill everyone, and kill, including a child. So it's hard to pity that guy at that
1: point. Nobody ever thinks to say, but Adam, what if she doesn't like you? You know, like right. what if she's not drawn to you, attracted to you? Like, you know, nobody ever really, maybe they're too afraid to say it
2: because he's clearly. Well, he wouldn't. He would have hurt them.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'd, and I don't know if he would have gone through with it. I mean, we find out later that David knew Adam was hiding in the West Wing the whole time and hangs out with him.
2: <laughs> I think he would have let David live.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. And so one thing he would have, if he had killed David, Carolyn would have hated him. Right. Because I think Carolyn is one of his few Achilles heels. I think yeah. if, in fact, it make, it's funny because... Here he is threatening Vicky, and they had a, a very easily lobable grenade they could have thrown at him was, do that and we kill Carolyn. They yeah. didn't even have to actually mean it. Just saying the two things they needed to say, if you hurt Vicky, we kill Carolyn, and yeah. maybe Eve isn't going to want you, dude.
1: So Eve, Eve is, uh, Nic- you know, Nicholas wants to use the most evil woman who ever lived as Eve's life force. So he brings... And yet he still thinks his plan's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Danielle Roger, the spirit of Danielle Roger, who he brings back in the form of Leona, it he calls her Leona Eldridge, but he incarnates her, brings her back from the great beyond. He thinks that using the life force of Danielle Roger is going to be a great idea uh, and of course, it isn't uh, at all.
2: This is a, this is a woman who is not willing to be used by men. And he says, "How about I I, I use her as the template of a woman who's going to be used by a man. my entire future existence and the plans of the master yeah. rely on the idea that this works." So I'm I'm going to choose the template of a woman who's probably the worst possible one that yeah. could have chosen. And
1: not only any just. This, you know, boorish, scarred, toddler-like guy who's like, has no refinement. Unlike Barnabas, they they have a lot in common. But Barnabas is very refined and, uh, you know, courtly and Adam is not. So Eve, who comes to life, played by the marvelous Marie Wallace. And interestingly, originally, Marie Wallace tells the story originally, Eve was going to have a scar across her neck, uh, like a Frankenstein type scar across her neck. And they did actually do it with makeup uh, in the camera test, but it looked like a necklace in the long shots. Yeah, yeah, I remember reading that. Yeah, so they didn't end up using that. I think it would have been kind of cool t- to have that aspect,
2: but that's, you know. I, I'm actually okay with why they did and I'll tell you why. One of my... Mm-hmm. One of the few, like, there are times when I find Adam really unlikable, even when I'm empathizing with him. Mm -hmm. And one of them is, if you notice what it is he says he wants in a woman, he wants her to be gorgeous. He never says he wants an equal. So he shallow. Never says, <laughs> yeah, he never says he wants someone he can talk to and enjoy time with and laugh with and make laugh. He wants a woman who's hot. That's mm. all he wants. It's why people call him an incel all the time.
1: Yeah. And he wants her right? to be, and he wants her to be like Carolyn. He all he keeps, yes, you know, imagining exactly. that she's going to be like Carolyn. Which so is I, really I, he hates,
2: but he also hates his own scars. I think if yeah. they had put a scar on her neck and had him not, hate her for it, I think they would have been missing the boat. He gloms onto her, not just because she's dynamic and attractive, but because she is not scarred. She's what he wants to be. She's a person who's strong, but she's also a person who's not screwed up by science. Right. So I actually think it's a good thing that the makeup test didn't work.
1: Interesting. Good take. Because it would have
2: been hard to understand, well, if he hates his own scars, why is he so... adamant to be with a woman who looks like her head was gone. sure
1: well I was thinking like maybe we're more alike unlike these others you know that's kind of along the lines I was thinking. but either way Eve comes to life and yeah. Marie Wallace is so great and like you said powerful and yep. dynamic she's just I, I she's, love
2: her in the
1: role oh she's she's great as, as Eve. my favorite Marie Wallace character is, is Jenny Collins well, but I, mean, but I yeah, love
2: that's a, that's a given <laughs> yeah
1: I mean she's just awesome but Eve is, yeah. is just right up there she's so good as the you know the dark shadows version of the bride so but of course she like the bride uh she rejects adam she finds him boring and dull and ugly and she's actually well she's drawn to nicholas but she actually is in love with peter bradford as it turns right. out apparently danielle roger had some history with peter bradford which was a kind of a twist
2: it's like really wow that's weird you know so it, it's and- it's it's one of the weirder things they did with her story I'm not sure it 100% works, but it's interesting.
1: I guess, you know, Peter was kind of a naive guy. So, I mean, I could see him kind of, she's, because she's not a nice person, Danielle Roche, you know, at all. So she's a murderer, you know, and so, uh, but anyway, things are not going well with this plan of of Nicholas Blair's. Eve doesn't like Adam. Adam is frustrated with Eve because she's takes off and doesn't pay any attention to him. And things are falling apart. Angelique reports to Diabolus about what's going on. Meanwhile, something else happened during this storyline. It's a subplot that I love, and it only lasts for a short time, but it's fantastic. When they were looking for a life force for Eve, Barnabas decides to use Maggie Evans. Poor Maggie. Like, Barnabas, leave Maggie alone. Come on. Barnabas wants to use Maggie Evans, and Willie overhears this, and he is... Horrified by this, yeah. so he hides, t- kidnaps Maggie, and hides her in the mausoleum, trying to to protect her from this fate. And they seeded this earlier because Willie gave her some earrings that belonged to Josette, and Maggie starts to have these flickers of memory. And it finally pays off when he brings her to the mausoleum, and then she just all the memories come flooding back, and she remembers what Barnabas did to her. This subplot was really compelling because. You know, on Dark Shadows, they kind of just move on next thing. And it's like they might reference something that happened before. And there but are
2: very, very rarely uh, uh, repercussions for the heroes.
1: Yes, exactly. And this yeah. time, oh yep. boy, like Maggie remembers what happened. And there were some amazing scenes between John Carlin and Catherine Lee Scott in that mausoleum that looked like she's- But they're small. always
2: are. I, they're, they're, their yeah. chemistry is some of the strongest on the show. Agreed, yes. yeah.
1: Kind of like black box theater kind of intense scenes with the two actors yes. doing a scene- uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, because
2: you know they're both thralls to a vampire. I mean, like yeah. there's a reason I think those two characters work so well. Is mm-hmm. the truth is these are both people who have had their lives turned upside down. One started as a good person, one started as a bad person, and none of that matters because they both ended up thralls to a vampire, and they're and they were broken permanently because of it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's powerful stuff. and I think the writers picked up on that
1: definitely. It was just it was such a good uh, I'. Talk, it was disappointing how how that wrapped, though, just Nicholas yes. just wiped, wiped her memory. So permanently. how many
2: times did that happen? where, you know, just <laughs> every time you think that Barnabas is going to get us come up and uh, a Warlock races her memory or Julia pulls out a pocket uh, the, the uh, medallion, <laughs> medallion. I mean, it's just it's like, come on.
1: yeah. But, yeah,
2: but you know, but like I said in the beginning, on a show like this, it's Because it's a soap opera, there are certain allowances we have to make with storytelling. One thing is that we're going to see the same thing over and over again within a story and that we're going to see the same story repeated later on because new new viewers have come in and they go, what the hell? Let's do it again. The other thing is that sometimes things don't pay off because actors leave or characters are written out or new writers come in and just abandon old plot lines. And, uh, and so sometimes things should have had an ending and don't. Maggie's character falls into that category and it's sad because she's one of the characters we truly care about. Absolutely, as a character too, she's
1: lost so much at that point. Sam dies, yeah, exactly. which we did we didn't mention that. Sam takes on the blind man role, yeah, oh and, yeah uh, right. from Frankenstein. He he takes that on that is
2: such a great parallel, by the
1: way. Yeah, it really is, you know. Yeah. And Sam dies. During this storyline, uh, you know, he was with the show from the beginning. Well, Mark He's Allen played a role the role. The, the, yeah. the character <laughs> yeah, exactly. was there from the start. Yeah. And then Maggie also loses Joe, too. Yeah. He goes mad and is dragged off the I mean, And her,
2: she loses her friend, Vicky, who occasionally yeah. is her friend. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, so... I mean, she loses uh, everybody.
1: She does. So, I mean, Collinwood represents kind of a new life for her. And, of course, she yeah. has horrifying experiences when she goes there as 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 one would expect. Uh, but anyway, speaking of horrifying experiences, so Eve is, is now functioning. She sets her sights on Jeff Clark, uh, who is, you know, ostensibly uh, going to be marrying Vicky, but things get kind of sidelined because he has to help with the creation of Eve. So anyway, she comes to life. During this time, other characters are introduced. Tom Jennings, Donald Briscoe, uh, for the first time appears on the show. And, and he
2: is awesome. One of the yeah. reasons
1: to watch. Yeah, definitely. He clearly loved playing a vampire. Like, he was definitely, I don't know, him or, or Dirk were bigger in terms of, like, how they play. They have a Julia. I just remember him calling to, so he starts yes. to vic-
2: victimize. They're like, reveling in it. They're oh. reveling. It's like Hammer hammer Horror time. going on. Very like, much so. They're but, reveling in it. And that's what makes both Dirk and Tom Jennings so fun.
1: He's turned into a vampire by Angelique. This is Joe's cousin, Tom. Jennings was like a handyman who came to Nickel his house of course Angelique victimizes him turns him into a vampire and he starts feeding on julia and brings julia under his thrall so this is an interesting reversal too because now julia who has been obsessed with curing this vampire and falls in love with this vampire is now the victim of a vampire and barnabas who threatened to kill her many times is now her friend and now he has to save julia from a vampire how what an ironic turn of events this is thoughts on all that
2: it, well, if, you, if you've ever read Lara Parker's novels, they take it a step further.
1: Oh, he, yes. She is turned into a vampire, right? In those, yeah, and they end you know, up
2: enemies as a result. So right, uh, right, it's, yeah. It's, it's one of my favorite aspects, actually. I know that they're, it's a controversial thing she did there, but I loved it. But anyway, back, back to, to answer your question. um, where, 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 where were you asking? What was my opinion? Oh, uh,
1: Tom, the whole Tom Jennings oh. storyline where he's staked by Barnabas and then he comes back. Nicholas pulls the stake out. Yeah, because, you know, a while later, it was
2: like, oh, that's what happened to Tom. He got dragged well, off into. It, it's funny. Um, Dark Shadows use of vampires is not entirely consistent with itself or with the way Gothic literature tends to, uh, you know, like first of all, like sometimes you can see vampires and mirrors and so forth. But one of the things that amuses me is the idea that, they, that they, they kill Tom and then just leave him there with a the stake. Like part yeah. of this as a vampire should know if someone were to pull that out.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. So you, you, you'd think that he would realize, well, if anyone finds this, they're going to assume it's a corpse, they're going to do an autopsy, and that's going to involve pulling the stake out. Yeah. So he yeah. probably should have gotten rid of the body, but... He should have burned <laughs> it, or, to cure, yeah, yeah, exactly. or cut its head off, or something, yeah. Yeah, I think Tom Jennings injected something fun into the show mm-hmm. um, that would continue... Obviously, because of of the other Jennings characters, would continue to resonate as the show went on. There's something fun about the character that reminds me of. Have you ever seen the the classic uh, mini the um TV version of Salem's Lot? They're they're from the 70s, the original. Yeah.
1: Yes, oh, with David Soul. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank on the name of the kid who becomes a vampire. But I can't um,
1: remember his name. But no. there's this scene so, where he's you're, you're
2: floating outside the window. Yeah, and he's yeah. saying. Danny, let me in. Yeah. You know, like his his, uh, his his hissing and his fingernails. Yeah, in the so
1: creepy. That's a, That seems stayed with me when I was a kid.
2: I think Tom Jennings and, and Dirk to some extent remind me of that. And I think yeah. that's why I like those two vampires more than any others on the show. They're mm. brief time, very brief tenures on the show for both of them, but they stand out because they're the creepiest. I can see
1: that. You can see the humanity in Barnabas and even mm-hmm. an Angelique vampire. You almost right. feel for, but. With Tom, there's something so not of this world. And he Dirk becomes
2: otherworldly. That's exactly yeah. otherworldly and malevolent in a way yeah. that Barnabas and, and, and Cassandra, even though they're evil creatures, never really are. And, there's, a, there's a
1: a level of sort of intellect at play, I think, with Barnabas and Angelica. Yes. It's a cold sort of calculating, but with Tom and a uh, Dirk, yeah, it's definitely something. It's that
2: same look the kid gets when he comes to the window or that Mr. Barlow, mm-hmm. the, the main vampire sure. in Salem's lock gets, because, you know, there are a lot of times you'll see two different types of vampires. You've got Dracula, you've got Nosferatu, right? You know, one yeah. one is just a, a horrible, ugly thing. And the other one is is um, charismatic. Yeah. And so you've got Barnabas falls into charismatic and, and to an extent, I mean, Angelique does as well because she's very beautiful and we love her. But then you've got Dirk and Tom who fall into the. Obviously, no one's going to call either of them ugly. So I, I'm not trying to imply either one of them looks like Nosferatu. They're, they're, more, they're, they're, they're more animalistic. I they're think. animalistic. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. But, and and so for me, that's the reason that those two stand out. Tom and Dirk are my two favorite vampire characters. And you'd think one of them would be Barnabas and I love him. But in terms of like the scenes that I get all excited about, it's, it's, it's for one thing, in both cases, they're brief. We don't get a lot of Tom. We don't get a lot of dirt compared to other monsters. Yeah. And so what they do, you know, but what but, but they do so much with them in their in yeah. their short span of time. And it's two of the only times the show is ever downright scary by today's standards. Oh. You, you know, like there's, it's a classic uh, Simpsons episode about, you know, for, I think it's the first Treehouse of Horror where they mention that um, Friday the 13th is really pretty tame by modern standards. The same thing is true with Dark Shadows. In the '60s, may have scared people, but there's not a lot about it now. It, there's certainly a love, a lot to love. It's it's exciting and it's fun. But it's not downright, it's not right. actually scary. And you could,
1: I mean, you could say that too about any of the, any classic horror films. Absolutely, I mean, it's, it's, it's
2: true of, of the universal horror films too.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. they had, you
2: know, it's doctors. the nature and, of things and, changing. And yeah.
1: The ambulance waiting at the theater when you watch Dracula because people are passing out and all this, you know, they made a big thing. Right, exactly. You know, but it's... just it's,
2: the nature of a change. It's a change in audience and it's a change in storytelling. Sure. Um, and so because of that it's sadly it's something we we don't ever truly get back, but I th- back sure.
1: But I think there's there is something eerie about it and that's I mean with, Always, with yeah. gothic horror there is that mm-hmm it's that terror versus horror thing. You know, it's, there's always Absolutely. that sense of the, of the sublime and of what's yes. hiding in the shadows and dark shadows still has that, you know, I. Absolutely.
2: I, um, it, it's got atmosphere to spare, to spare. Yes. It, it, yeah. You know, they did, they didn't have much of a budget and they, they, yet they, and yet they managed to pull it off. Mm-hmm. Uh They created this amazing atmosphere that by rights, the budget they had shouldn't have been able to do, but, sure. but somehow Because it was such a great group of actors, uh, and because the writers genuinely had fun with what they were writing, and because the house set is amazing,
1: and Dan Curtis, you know, Dan Curtis was a big fan of that stuff. So he was, you know, that enthusiasm comes through until he exudes it, really does. Yeah. So going into the end here, I just I want to touch on one of the characters, Harry Johnson. We didn't mention (laughs) Mrs. Johnson's son, uh, Harry, played by Craig Slocum. Thoughts on Harry?
2: Weird character he was
1: weird i think weird is a great word to describe
2: harry he's just what a I, weird guy yeah i see people often say that he's like the worst character and i i, I say no. look is is there a worst character on the show i don't know that there genuinely is i mean no I, I, even the characters that are off like him and buzz are fun because they're just <laughs> so weird right you know it's like, yeah it's like harry doesn't talk like anybody on the show he certainly doesn't like his accent's totally different from his mom He's such a fish out of water in this show, yeah. And uh, his whininess, you know, is hilarious. It's like if you took Seinfeld and put him on. on, on, on I
1: love the scenes with him and, and Mrs. Johnson, with his mother, because he's That's just funny. She's yeah. oh yeah. He's like ma. He's just kind of rolls his eyes every ma, time she. And yeah. she's always like you know because he he's a near well so she's always on his case. But he becomes sort of a puppet for for other characters like you know Carolyn kind of. Puts him in his place and says you know you're gonna help me take care of adam and yeah they
2: made him work somehow i don't mean yeah. and i i mean that in both levels they actually got him to get a job but i mean sure. i mean they, they also I, they also managed to make the character short despite Ford. the yeah. fact that it was such a weird introduction of the
1: character yeah and then nicholas yeah. of course like kind of says you work for me now and kind of takes takes over so harry and he we got one more scene with him uh later on with played by another actor um uh, he just sort of vanishes Then he vanishes. He's one of those that that just sort of disappears from the show. Uh, And just to kind of wrap things up here, Adam and Eve, uh, things don't end well. Adam strangles Eve in a scene that looks like, I mean, it's such a skeevy scene that looks out of like a B film noir movie, like a a really sketchy, weird, kind of grody film noir b b movie where where adam in this dark room strangles eve and hides her body in the closet it's such a there's something really gross about that whole scene yes. but it's very noir it's, that's what it felt like to it me it's
2: what i was saying about how they have they have atmosphere to spare you know they mm-hmm. they they really didn't have a lot of money to work with but when they really wanted to create a mood, they were great at it. And, and, and look, the truth is both those actors deserve a lot of credit for that scene working. As yeah, well as
1: absolutely. Which
2: is why, by the way, I don't understand why they, I mean, I'm sure there's a real world reason for it, but Robert Rodin is one of the few actors who never came back as another mm-hmm. character. Yeah. I, I suppose you could argue that it's because he, he was a patchwork man. So, <laughs> you know, maybe nobody looked like him, but that face had to come from somebody. Right. So mm-hmm. there's no reason that, in my opinion, in other words, you, you couldn't really do, you know, Adam's ancestor, like I, the I, person that he would, that he was built on. That's what I would yeah. like to see. Right. Something,
1: yeah. something happened with the, because I mentioned briefly, you know, there's a life force that there's something that connects Adam and Barnabas, whatever happened, what happens to one happens to the other one. Barnabas succumbs to the dream curse and, and dies uh, Adam absorbs what happened and Barnabas doesn't die. He's buried alive. And there's a whole scene with Julia and Willie where they kind of commiserate about Barnabas dying and he, he's not dead. He, they bring him back. So the life force must have been severed at some point because otherwise, wouldn't Barnabas feel what Adam is feeling or if Adam suffered some injury or vice versa? Maybe when Barnabas went to the past to 1897, Either Adam himself also got sucked into the past when yeah. Barnabas' body disappeared. Well, that's maybe fascinating. maybe Adam was sucked into the past. You maybe know? the
2: reason we didn't we didn't see him anymore is he's stuck in parallel time or another time period.
1: Maybe so. You know, maybe Adam. Well, there's maybe also
2: maybe. like the, there's also like why like if 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 Adam needs to stay alive for Barnabas to live and mm-hmm. he gets sucked into the past, he doesn't and he doesn't get sucked into the past, wouldn't Barnabas have shown up in the past and then die? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, yeah. So they just dropped the Adam thing, unfortunately. Or how about when (laughs) he he should have he should have been cured from the Leviathans?
1: Yeah, there's some that life force was severed some at some point. We don't. Maybe it's a distance thing. Maybe if Adam is too far away, like we don't. They do mention Adam a couple of times later in parallel time. They they actually mention Adam and Eve. Uh, and during because yes. because of the whole Roxanne life force thing, it, it, they do get referenced, but we still we don't, we don't know see. what happened there. Yeah, we don't know what that's would be an interesting thing for. Like if the Stark shadows reincarnation comes, by. I would love to see them address like what happened to Adam or why the, this life force was was severed. I don't know if they would actually go there with that. But anyway, Eve dies. Nicholas is not having any of this. He says, we're going to use the body and we're going to find another life force and we're going to bring her back to life. That doesn't work out. The body just turns into a skeleton. Eve's body, the, the, the flesh disintegrates and she's a skeleton on the table. Adam Completely snaps at this point. Nick, Nick, uh, Adam
2: just he embraces his inner incel at that
1: point. Yeah, he just goes berserk, and it's it's kind of sad. It's sad, but it's because he goes to get Vicky. He's going to use Vicky as the life force and perform the experiment yeah. himself. And when Carolyn tries to stop him, his beloved Carolyn, he knocks her out too. Just kind of knocked her out of the way, and he's really strong so she's knocked to the ground and he brings vicky to the basement of the old house and attempts to do the exp- And it was just a really uncomfortable talk about a saw movie gosh that looked that was that <laughs> was such a it was torture it was a torture scene i mean is what it was like he's shooting electricity through her body and she's screaming and at this point vicky is played by betsy durkin who took over from alexandra moltke uh, alexandra left the show because she was pregnant and the so-
2: tale of three vickys
1: Yes. Yeah. And then, of course, yeah, yep. we have Carolyn Groves later on. So Vicky's being basically tortured by Adam. Barnabas shoots Adam in the shoulder and feels the pain himself in the shoulder. Adam runs off, as we said, goes to Professor Stokes' house. And that's the last we're going to see of Adam. He's He's gone. Yeah.
2: He's gone he, uh, at that point. he just sort of hides in a room and never comes back out, which is yeah. in a weird way of fitting in. I mean, it's not a satisfying one, but the, the guy spent most of his storyline hiding <laughs> somewhere. True. That's a good and, point. Uh, yeah. and 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 you know scorned by the outside world, and the one person who truly made an effort to make him feel better, he ends up hiding in his room and never coming out. Yeah. So yeah. there's a certain. It may not be a satisfying closure by any sense of the of the phrase, but there's a certain. It's certain in some ways. It's fitting that if they just decided to drop the storyline, at least they did it where he was in a place of comfort.
1: Right. And he went back to the one person who still sees the good in him. There's like Stokes can still see the potential in Adams and he's the only one who still can at this point because Adam has destroyed his relationships with everyone at this point. And Nicholas is also partly to blame for this, for his influence on him. And Nicholas now gets his comeuppance as well. He has failed to enact this plan for his master and is...
2: Cons- because it was a ridiculous plan. It was a ridiculous, insane he had no chance plan of, 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 of actually working.
1: Of course, and maybe the <laughs> Diabolus was like, "This is never going to work," but I'm going to let him do it just because this is going to be fun to watch him fail. You know, uh well, is That's an interesting so,
2: perspective. That basically yeah. <laughs> he he knew from the beginning, Master. I have this asinine plan that can't work. <laughs> oh, wringing my hands together. This should be fun. <laughs> yes. Do it, Nicholas. And if you don't, you'll be punished. Of
1: course, he's. He loves the misfortune <laughs> of others. Right, so, exactly. gonna, yeah. so Nicholas is, is consumed in, in flames and returns to hell. And there's that great shot of Barnabas with this just big grin on his face like the cat swallow swallowed the canary. <laughs> It's just such a great shot of Jonathan Frid with this big grin on his face. it's almost unsettling to see Barnabas smile. It's like watching yeah. Batman. It's like seeing Batman <laughs> smile. It's like, no, that's uncomfortable. I don't want that's to see that. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so he's destroyed. And then, of course, this, this storyline, basically, I would say, you know, kind of the ending point is Vicky and Peter finally get married. And Peter that uh, or Jeff rather Jeff slash Peter get married he remembers who he is Jeter. Peter and he is Peter oh, I said Jeter Jeter <laughs> oh Jeter yeah <laughs> he gets pulled he gets pulled back into the past where he belongs you know he does not belong in the present he's pulled back into the past and now Vicky is distraught and wants to die and want, wants to be with Peter. She wants to return to be with Peter at this point. So this is kind of how the storyline wraps up. And of course, this is dovetailed now as Chris Jennings has come in a little bit earlier, around November of 1968, the Chris Jennings story. That's the thing with Dark Shadows. Like, a lot of times, they, I mean, they'll just definitively end the storyline. They'll kill everybody. They'll end the storyline. Yeah. The and time
2: travel arcs in particular had a definitive end. Definitely, because, yeah. Because you were no longer in that era. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but, but then a lot of them either just faded out or were overlapped and foreshadowed in a previous one. And... Uh,
1: yeah, it's uh, Jeff Thompson, who was on uh, episode, uh, episode four of the podcast with me, And uh, he described the Dark Shadows storylines as being similar to newspaper comic strip storylines, where it is an ongoing serialized storyline, but there's often are kind of definitive ends to one storyline that kind of lead, then lead into another. And there is some overlap, but it's kind of like, okay, this is where this... New arc is
2: starting now. Well, so you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation the yeah. um, the document that I put online that lists everything. Yeah. and I broke the show down into twenty eight story arcs. So when you, mm-hmm. when I provide you the uh, a shorter link for people to click on. Uh, they can see that a lot of a right. lot of sites will list 15. And that is probably true that there's 15 bigger storylines. But I think it overlooks the fact that there's a specific Cyrus Longworth storyline and so yeah. forth. So I, I broke yeah. it down into 28, what I consider to be the 28 big storylines of the show. Yeah. So when I look over this, I can see things like the fact that the Chris Jennings arc and the Quentin Collins ghost arc start not long apart. It's only about a dozen episodes apart and run simultaneous. They're, and they're, yeah, they're, con- they're, they're concurrent. Created. And as we mentioned, going on at the same time is well, actually, Adam and Eve kind of stands alone. Adam and Eve is overlapping with Elizabeth Stoddard's burial, and right. and it's it overlaps with the beginning of of the of Christian yeah. Jennings coming in, and it overlaps with dream commercial. Tra- others. It's probably
1: more accurate to say like a storylines within a bigger story arc kind of a, yeah, kind of exactly, thing. Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. like even like, the Jason McGuire storyline precedes the arrival of Barnabas, but shortly thereafter, Barnabas comes and then those storylines run concurrently as well. The Jason McGuire blackmail storyline is right, running exactly. alongside Barnabas. And, and so. Burke
2: Devlin's return is connected to Bill Malloy's murder. Yes. Know, so it, all, yep. it all connects in some way.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And then 1897, we have like the Laura storyline happens and then Count right, the exactly. storyline, which is distinct from the glorious story. And Amanda story.
2: Harris. A lot of things sure. come out of it. All right. Well, we're out of time.
1: Rich, any closing thoughts on this storyline? And also anything you have coming up, books, or I know you're working on a, on a book right now, I believe. So tell us about that.
2: Uh, well, thoughts on the storyline to wrap it up would just be that I, I think that although, I think this is one of those overlooked periods of the show because it's wedged between great ones. Yeah. But I think there's a lot, to enjoy about this period. Nicholas Blair is such a standout character. Adam and Eve are better characters, I think, than a lot of people give them credit for. And if they watch it from the standpoint of, this is the point at which it ceased to just be Dracula, but instead became universal horror, then I think that maybe they will find more to enjoy about it. Because before that, there's really no connection between a phoenix and a vampire. They're not the same genre. But but a vampire and Frankenstein's monster and a werewolf that's the same genre. But so Unimon really begins the Universal Monsters concept. Really starts not with Barnabas because he was a lone vampire, which was you know mind blowing to the audience, but with Adam and Eve. Um, so I-, I think that this arc I- is it perfect? No, the Dream Curse goes on too long, for example, and so does Elizabeth's burial. But and that might be why this era of the show sometimes gets complaints, I mean, and they're, and and they're not they're not invalid complaints. But I think that there's a lot to take away from this one. I think there's mixed in with the periods that that drag is some really compelling storytelling and look we got Nicholas Blair and Tom Jennings and how could it be a bad era <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um as far as uh work I'm currently doing another essay anthology for Sequart uh my friend Joe Dilworth and I are co-editing a uh, an essay anthology about the Stargate franchise uh this will so go along with the ones um, you mentioned earlier I did uh, for them Planet of the Apes and Battlestar Galactica Hellblazer uh, obviously the monster book and um I'm still writing my weekly column for uh, for Hero Collector, which is Eagle Moss's fan website, and um, um, I have a couple other projects in the works. One of which involves a different classic monster, but I'm not really at liberty to, to say it. Although I will when we stop recording.
1: Awesome. Um, <laughs> I have I have one more question. Actually, I want to tag yeah. on to this. My question is this: I've asked this to a few guests I've had on the show. Dark Shadows incorporated lots of classic horror tales into the mix. Are there any classic horror stories that you would have enjoyed seeing in the mix with Dark Shadows that they didn't use?
2: Yes. The uh, the Invisible Man. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Cool. I've always wished that that one had made it in. It might have been a little problematic because this is not a show with great special effects as we see. And yeah. having things on strings might have been visible. So I don't know if they could have done it on their budget. But... Um, especially because we, we see what happens with things like floating heads and such. You could you know it wasn't perfect, but I think it could have been a lot of fun. Um, and who cares? There's no one. No one's watching this show because they they they're looking for the effects anyway. You you enjoy the storyline. So I think I think the Invisible Man could have been fun. Um, and the other one is the Mummy. Uh, yes. Right. And I and from what I understand, that's one that they had in mind. Um, I've heard that <laughs> had, too, and I'd like yeah, to, to find out. Yeah, the show out. continued. I, I've heard this before, too. And but I don't uh, have a source for it. I don't know where I read it, but I've, I've seen people say it. Is same. it true? I don't know.
1: Same here. Um, yeah. I knew Dan Curtis was reluctant to do a mummy. And I I'd read that before, that he, he was not all in on the idea. And every time it came up, he kind of nixed it. That's just what I've heard. But then I had also heard that they actually did talk about doing doing a mummy storyline I think it would have worked if they had used uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's lot number 249 as the inspiration where this I think if they had had a scholar kind of show up at Collinsport and bring this you know sarcophagus with them maybe it could have worked. I think the I think the, the difficult thing was like how do you have an Egyptian mummy in Collinsport you know but I think they could have found a way to to make it work perhaps
2: I think and, it I think the fact that the that the, that the one standout the book the most standout tale in both gold key and the Dan Ross books or mummy stories shows that it could be done.
1: I really do. And I, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those that I think was kind of a miss. The Invisible Man, it's that one is sort of a straddles the line with horror and science fiction. I get because HG Wells, you know, it's kind of, kind of leans on the science fiction side of things, but it's definitely, you know, a mad scientist story. Ansel Farage, who I had on, on the show, a filmmaker who's worked with a lot of the Dark Shadows actors, uh, did a series called Theater Fantastique. And one of them is about the invisible man as a as a lodger and um I can't remember the name of that episode but uh the voice of the invisible man is is the late great Christopher Pennock uh <laughs> does the voice of the invisible man and it's on YouTube so More if you, if you look theater fantastic yeah uh, Ansel has worked with a lot of the, the dark shadows actors but yeah Chris Pennock does the voice of the invisible man in that um
2: and, and the only other thing to answer to add to that question is and I don't know if it would have worked. But I would have been really interested to see what they could have done with aliens. That would have been weird. Wow. I, I mean, look, I know it sounds ridiculous, but they brought in a Lovecraftian serpent guy.
1: Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> right. Yes. So,
2: yes, they, they never showed us what the, what this thing looked like and it still worked. So I, I just, would, you know, so could they do aliens? I mean, they certainly didn't have the budget for a flying saucer. Uh, Uh, Or somebody walking around looking like a little green man, but could they have made it work? I think they could have there's any number of ways a competent writer could have, you know, had them disguised as a human who, you know, there's mm -hmm. any ways they could have done but I, I don't know where they would have gone with it, because it's not necessarily a classic monster, but there are classic monster stories that involve aliens in Hollywood, like the the thing comes to mind.
1: Oh, Um, that's a good, yeah, that's a good example, like a kind of a horror Uh, Sci-fi hybrid kind of thing. Yeah, right. Exactly.
2: When I say aliens, I don't necessarily like an alien invasion so much as as as, like you say a hybrid horror sci-fi.
1: Something more insidious like that. Yeah. Or the
2: fly. Ooh, (laughs) the
1: fly. Oh, yeah. That would have been that would have been a challenge for. Vinny Lascavo makeup Makeup wise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Especially if it was like an ongoing recurring character. Well, Rich, it was great having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm glad we could finally make this happen. This
2: has been so fun. And if you, if you know, if if you're ever repeating guests, I'd be happy to come back because this was fun.
1: Oh, thank you for, for offering. And I'm sure that will happen
0: at some point for sure. All right, folks, if you like this podcast, please make sure to subscribe either on YouTube or on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts as it really helps the show to grow and reach more fans. And for as long as they lived, the dark shadows never truly dissipated, for there will always be terror at Collinwood. Terror at Collinwood is a Penny Dreadful production.